Good morning, everyone. This is Georgiana with Employer Branding, the Inside Podcast. Today, I am talking to someone from Elucidate. It's actually the CEO and founder of the company. His name is Shane Riedel. Welcome, Shane. Thank you so much for accepting to talk to us today. Thanks very much. It's great to be here. And uh, I have to say that Elucidate has a very, very interesting business model. And I would like you, Shane, first to tell us a little bit about it. And uh, yeah, just describe what you guys do in a few words. Yeah, sure. So, so we're, uh, we're a data science company uh, and we offer financial crime risk assessment and benchmarking. Um, our, our products are used primarily by, by banks and financial institutions, but also large corporates really sort of to enable quick decision making uh, around risks like fraud or corruption or money laundering or, or, or terrorist financing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So sometimes we like to position it, sorry, sometimes we like to position it a bit like what Moody's or Standard & Poor's does for credit, we do for, for financial crime. Got it. We're, we're going to get back to, to that topic in, in a few minutes. Because this is an employer branding podcast, I'm jumping right into it. And please tell me, in a few lines, what does Elucidate do for employer branding and how much of it is destined to the current workforce and how much to the future one? Yeah, I mean, given given where we are in terms of stage and size, um, the the um, the majority of our, our employer branding efforts have have been have been internal to date um, and to, to some extent reused for for recruiting or external. But but. Primarily, we focused on on internal. Um, yeah, we we raised uh, some external financing, like a lot of companies over the last couple of years, and so in sort of solidifying what our values were, what our culture was going to be in the face of that growth was really important, and so that's forced us to to undertake a pretty extensive internal exercise. So. I think that manifests itself in a couple different ways. Uh, on one hand, we focus on kind of let's say company benefits that, that reflect our, our values. So um, values like flexibility and independence and entrepreneurship. And that manifests itself in, in let's say, remote working um, possibilities or, or um, employee-led development planning, you know, to learning planning um, or optional four-day work week. And, and those are, those are um, I, I wouldn't call those internal branding mechanisms, but, th- but they are kind of uh, behaviors or, or um, processes that, that lend themselves to, to our values. On the, 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 other, the other point I suppose I would raise is that um, because we're small, uh, or, or maybe this is actually not because we're small, but maybe this should be for everybody, that we really strive to maintain consistency between our external and our internal branding. Um, so how we position ourselves externally, you know, ambitious, um, questioning, values-driven, you know, we, we, we try to align those to our internal uh, employee branding as well. And how involved are you personally as the founder and the CTO, CEO sorry, in the company culture and understanding what people are about and what they need, what they want? Yeah, so... <clears throat> Less less than I was when we were nine people uh, or five people, um, but you know it's still it's it's a it's a, a really critical function I think of the CEO, particularly in an early stage company. Um, although that said, you know I come from finance originally, and uh, when I was working at Goldman, they also would have said that this was super important. So so I don't think it's unique um, to, to to small companies, but 
you know, what what um, what I have have learned is that in a in a startup environment like this, um, your everybody will always say like your employees are your greatest asset. That's true. Um, the criticality of each employee is far greater because there's much less kind of redundancy or or, or fat um, in in the system. So ensuring that your employees are um, aligned to to the, the the vision of the company that they feel like their execution is consistent both with the values as well as the strategic direction all of that is is incredibly important in an early stage company um, as we've grown what we've sought to do is to migrate that from kind of the you know when, when you're five people it's because you go to lunch and you talk to people and you figure out kind of how the culture is evolving and and, and so forth but that doesn't work when you're 50 and so um, you know, today we've got much more um, structured like uh, metrics and, and we try to be very KPI driven. You know, culture is a tough one to put um, KPIs in place because it is um, a, a quite a normative or qualitative subject. But, you know, we do we have developed means to to monitor on an ongoing basis the degree to which our employees feel as though we're being true to our values um, and that they they sort of um, remain motivated and incentivized on that basis. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I took a look at your website, obviously, and I found quite the story to explain your beginnings. Really, really interesting. And I was wondering how much of this story actually functions as a talent magnet. And I have a quote here from your career page. If you would like to use your skills to fight financial crime, strengthen international interconnectivity and engage with emerging markets, we would love to hear from you. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, all of our people are different and all of them derive different uh, sort of or, or assign different importance to different elements of what it is that we do here. Um, but but absolutely, we're a values driven company and the folks who who work for us um, are very values driven. So um, we were. Um, we were, for example, named to the, the top 50 uh, inclusive fintechs or so around financial inclusion last year. And that was really important um, to, to, our, um, to our employees because, you know, sort of a, a B2B platform isn't typically associated with driving financial inclusion in that way. Um, so, so, yeah, that's, that's in, incredibly important. But when we've surveyed our employees, uh, we have consistently found a very strong normative drive um, to, to work for us. So yes, they're working for us because it's a really interesting problem that we're trying to solve, or you know, our data scientists work for us because it's a really data-rich environment. But you know, more than that, um, you know, it, it, we, we talked about this on our all hands a couple of weeks ago, and, you know, one of our employees is from one of our data scientists, for example, is from Colombia, and and he was sort of recounting his view that you know growing up in Colombia in a market that um, has has really been ripped apart by corruption and, and narcotics over the over the last fifty years or so, um, you know coming to work for us is his way of you know doing doing the technical technical tasks that he loves, but also so, sort of chipping away at this problem, which is really, really important to him personally. And I think that's something you find quite consistently across the group. For me, mm -hmm. I got my start. I didn't come from finance originally. I started working for the UN. And so, you know, I definitely approached this as a social problem 
um, that, that needs to be to be solved with with very technical international elements. But um, I think that's a shared sentiment across the team. I would think so. I, this is why I was really curious to to find out, and I'm I'm sure for at least part of the people, the the financial crime element has uh, quite some value. Mm. The leadership and management style within the organization reflects the company culture. Agree or disagree? Uh, well, it, if the company is going to succeed, it does. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the the way that. Um, the way that we look at this, and, and, and my board tells me this you know, constantly, at, 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 at the early stage, there is nothing that's more important than culture um, to the company. Uh, not revenue, not roadmap. Uh, really, the culture is the most important element of ensuring the long-term stability of the company. If you don't have good culture, you're going to have the wrong incentives in place. You're not going to be able to attract and retain good talent. And so that's been that's been a huge focus for us, and and that's had positive impacts. You know, it, yeah. all the things I mentioned. It's also had costs, right? So uh, an example, um, we had a salesperson working for us. He was a fantastic guy. He was really really good at what he did. Uh, he connected with clients very effectively, but we ultimately um, became aware that he was not adhering to our values. And mm -hmm. despite the fact that it was going to have a commercial impact. We decided to to part ways with him because of values. So it's it, it only you know this this values thing only works if you apply it in the good times and also in the bad, and um and so so that's that's been been really key for us. I think as a leadership team, um, we we aim to keep culture and values top of mind not only by talking about it, right? This isn't a purely qualitative thing, like it has to be measured. So I alluded to the fact earlier, you know, we put KPIs and things like this, we measure it, but you know, within our 2022 objectives, we, we have two objectives as a company. One is a commercial objective, and the second is a cultural objective. And both of those are, are kind of equally weighted um, when we talk about OKRs and, and what we want to achieve over the course of 2022. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Would you say that Elucidate has an employee value proposition or what is what is the promise that you make to current and prospective employees? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think on on one hand, um, sort of values are are an important part of being attractive as an employer and retaining good talent. But um, you know, it's it's more about sustainability um, from from my perspective. For for us, we we offer um, a flexible and a you know, hopefully a satisfying working environment, and that that's nice for people coming in for sure. It's not without pressure. It's not without drive. Um, but but I think the if if I think about the the kind of the USP or, or the the value proposition we offer to employees, it's the opportunity to kind of do what it is that you are good at technically whilst also solving one of the world's most intractable problems and something that has gotten exponentially worse over the last 20 years so you know if you can be a data scientist be a developer and and you know write super interesting code and and do do really interesting work and also know that you're contributing to the, the, the you know, kind of the, the betterment of society at the same time. Like that is the optimal scenario for, uh, for kind of how you want to exist in your work life. 
And I, I would also like to touch on a different topic that's been very much circulated in all of the podcasts, um, and that is diversity and inclusion. Mm. And I'm wondering, in a rather small company, what, what happens on that topic? Um, <clears throat> so, so I think that for us, uh, we've always been a super diverse company. Um, and we highly value uh, inclusion and we, we, we value it um, from the perspective of who works for us, what backgrounds do they bring, um, you know, do we have strong gender balance, do we have a range of different um, educational backgrounds and um, ages um, who are part of the company. Um, but, you know, we also look at it from the perspective of our product, right? You know, we, we um, are in the business of, of modeling financial crime risk. And if we look at the way financial institutions have modeled financial crime risk in the past, it's tended to be quite discriminatory. Um, so people of color, um, you know, emerging markets have been much more harshly judged, for example. It's much more difficult uh, for certain people to gain access to financial services than others. And so when we think about how our product works, um, how accessible is it? How does the model work? What incentives does it drive? You know, in, a, a spirit of inclusion um, has, has really sort of penetrated both the development of the product as well as I would say the development of the team. And actually, I have to confess that some of the companies that I've been speaking to that are approximately the same size as, uh, as Elucidate are really successful at this. And they're also simultaneously successful at creating a healthy company culture just because mm. they, they care not so much about the formalities, you know, the, the definition of the terms, but really they care about the people and try to just get everyone involved and not really look at, I don't know, things that maybe other companies don't take into account, like you said, gender, race, and, and all the others. So, well, I mean, yeah. I, I think for us, the, um, the, the view that we've taken from, from the beginning, when we think about just from an employee perspective now, is that, um, you know, our market is quite global. Uh, we have users um, who are in, in the Middle East. We have users who are in America. We have users in Europe and Africa. And it was really important when we were developing the product, when we were developing the go-to-market strategy, that, that we had kind of a range of voices um, present in, in the formulation of, of the company and, and, and that the company itself should reflect um, our customers to the greatest extent possible. Um, you know, I, like I mentioned before, I, I came from Goldman and Goldman's a super diverse organization. There's no question about it. Um, but that diversity, it does not penetrate every level of the organization, right? You know, as is the case with a lot of large corporate. Yeah. And um, the what we've tried very hard to do is to ensure that um, we've recruited and, and we've done this with with um, you, with real intent, uh, recruited a, a team at every level, um, which brings a range of viewpoints and to also create a culture in the company that invites a challenge um, that, you know, that we're not just bringing in diversity so that we can say, well, look, you know, we have 29 different uh, nationalities and, you know, 14 different native languages or whatever, but it, but that it actually is bringing value to the company by challenging the assumptions 
um, that that uh, that particularly that the founders brought to the table, and to ensure that we're we're building something that's that's really globally applicable and can, as a result, become the you know fulfill our our our, our greatest potential. Okay. What would you say is one good thing that's currently happening in the Berlin talent market, and what's one that's been bothersome? Yeah, Berlin. Um, Several. Yeah, yeah it, you know, a, a lot of um, because we work with banks. Like Berlin is not the the, the necessarily the intuitive place to set up. Um, although there there are other, you know, Raisin, for example, also works with banks, and they've done very well here, and and Mambo and, and others. So. Um, for sure, there's there's definitely a precedent. You know, my my response when folks ask ask why we um, why we built the company in Berlin was because I think that we see Berlin as being as number one having a very good talent pool um, in a post Brexit environment. We see it as a as a really attractive place for European talent more generally, um, as as London in some ways fades from that. Obviously, it's much more affordable to live, so our, our, our employees can have a far better quality of life. Um, and it opens up, I think Berlin is a, is a more livable city than some of, some of the other cities that, um, that are technology hubs, insofar as you know, folks with families, for example, can live here. Whereas London, for example, you know, is, is great for uh, you know, back-end developer in his 20s, but maybe once, once he gets to 35 and has two kids, like London's not such a great place to live anymore. Um, so, you know, I think that's, um, that's a really positive element. Um, and we continue to see that um, even in the face of kind of difficulty in housing and things like that, that Berlin remains a very attractive place to go. Um, on the kind of what's bothering me about, about Berlin, um, I mean, I, I will say I love Berlin. I love living here um, and, and I have no intention of leaving. Um, but but I do think we see there, there was the the startup command last year published a report on migrant founders, and um, and it it sort of talked about some of the issues that um, that we've perceived qualitatively, and that is um, a bit of a differentiation between um, you know founders with migrant backgrounds in the companies that they run, and and I'm from a migrant background, so um, you know that that is important. Um, and, and then kind of, let's say, pure German companies, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, maybe the, the easiest indicator would maybe be the companies who um, speak German and yeah. versus the companies who don't. Oh, okay. I totally and, agree. Mm-hmm. and, you know, what we see is the, the downside to this is, well, the upside to it is that I think we've been able to attract fantastic international talent, which, if I'm honest, has been passed over by German companies. Um, and and that's great for us. Yeah. Um, on the downside, though, we we also that that differentiation, that separation between the German companies and the migrant-founded companies, I think, is unhealthy, mm-hmm. um, and it has made it quite difficult for us to attract talent from from Germans. So there's a big pool of talent locally that I think we are not um, adequately accessing, and um, and and I view that as as um, It's unhealthy in the long term, for sure. Mm -hmm. You don't want to exist in a bubble. No, for sure, for sure. But but I think in itself, Berlin is a bubble Mm -hmm. in Germany. At least this is my perception so far, and I've been here for four years. I do speak German, but not really bilingually. Mm. 
I've discovered that once you, you exit Berlin, it's really not comparable. I, I think that's true. And that would even apply, you know, Frankfurt's probably similarly um, cosmopolitan, but certainly, you know, for founders that, that I know in, in Munich or, or in Hamburg, yeah. for sure, their companies are much more um, kind of authentically German, if you want to say that. Um, yeah, I don't, I definitely don't view this as a weakness. You know, let me be clear. Um, you know, I think that um, our access to international talent, talent from across Europe, um, you know, the, the, um, the, the visa regime here makes it very easy to bring in talent from outside of Europe. Um, so all of that's, that's fantastic. But I do feel like um, I would like to be able to compete for for German talent a bit better. And I would also not like um, to have it be viewed that, um, that, that, that we exist somehow separately from the society in which we live. Um, I don't think that's healthy over the long term. That's true. Well, I think I think speaking German is going to solve a lot of your problems. I'm it concerned helps. with it personally, because Sure, it will help at some point. We're reaching the, the end of this episode. And the last question I'd like to ask is a predictive one, if I, if I may say so. Um, do you think remote work is here to stay or is hybrid taking over? Yeah, I mean, as with, as with most things when it comes to employees, we, we, try to, um, we try to make our decisions based on what the data tells us. And so um, we do that through kind of regularly um, regularly surveying our employees um and so we recently asked this question you know if if you um if you could come into the office um or when you come into the office should say what would be um your desired you know regularity for doing so um because during during covid we 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 um took the opportunity to hire a bit more um outside of berlin and so some of our employees, they actually don't, it would not be feasible for them to come to the office every day because they're in, you know, Marrakesh or they're in um, Bucharest or whatever. Um, so for those who are in Berlin, we, we asked them that question, you know, if you could, would you come in every day? Would you come in three or four days a week? Would you uh, come in one day a week or would you not come in at all? And 60% of our team said that they would not come in at all. Um, if, if they had the option. However, and, and I mean, this is not a narrative that's unique to us. Um, what our team has really enjoyed, uh, and this is what we sort of kicked off um, this year, is coming in either based on subject or based on function. So bringing together the front-end team, bringing together the team who works on a particular product um, across all the different functions. In, including flying them in, right, and giving them three, four days to work together in the office um, and to collaborate in that way. And so the office takes on a different function, right? Its value is not in the, in the proximity to others. Its value is, is purely in its collaborative capabilities. Um, and so, so what, that's changed the nature of what our office is for, what kind of office we want to have. Um, and we, we aren't considering at this point to, for example, get a big office that accommodates all 55 or you know, 45 of our people, but, but rather to um, have a small office and accessibility to meeting rooms, to bring our teams together periodically, to fly in everybody from everywhere one or two times per year, 
um, and, and really to focus on collaboration when we're together and creating um, sort of robust communication mechanisms that are efficient when we're not together. And that's, I think, where we're landing. So it's a long way of answering the question. I think we're not going to go back. Um, for, that's not on the cards. Mm -hmm. um, I'm very happy to have, you know, the, the cost of a very expensive office back um, to, to put onto my runway. Um, and, and, and I think we have the support of our team um, in, in taking that decision. Got it. Thank you so much for, for the discussion. Really valuable input. I wish you the best of luck in, in growing the team and in navigating Berlin and the German <laughs> talent scenery. <laughs> it was really a lot of fun, Shane. Nice talking yeah. to you. Yes, Tatiana. Thanks very much. Thank you. This was Employer Branding, the Inside Podcast. You can find our podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can find our Employer Branding related to this on Employer Branding.com. Until the next time, stay tuned. Bye.